So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you're turning there, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, this day represents life. This day represents new life. This day represents heaven, Lord. The opportunity to spend eternity with you forever and ever in heaven. And so, Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the plan of salvation. And Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be on our calendar, Lord, just another religious day, a a holiday, a holy day. Father, it would be more than that. It would be a reality in our lives that, Lord, our lives are transformed because of this day. Because you live, Lord, we live. We have new life. And Father, you want to awaken us to so much more in this life. And so as much, Lord, as we look forward to heaven, Lord, I pray that we would desire to get this thing called life as we navigate through the days of our life spent on this earth. So, Lord, we give you this time. We ask your blessing, and we pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears to hear what you have to say to the church this morning in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is on his second missionary journey as he travels through the different regions of the Middle East. He's coming out of Berea. He's coming out of Thessalonica where he would be kicked out. And after Thessalonica, he goes into the city of Corinth. Corinth had a church established there. He was getting worn out in ministry as he's on this second missionary journey. And it would be in Corinth that God would give him a word. Paul, I want you to stay here in this place for I have many people here. And so it's an encouragement for Paul to be able to kind of put up some roots and and hang out for a while as he's traveling on this second missionary journey. And so as he would establish this church over a year and a half period, he would develop, or I guess the church would develop, many, many questions that Paul would be able to address and answer. And when he writes this epistle, this letter of 1 Corinthians, it's those questions that Paul is answering. Today is Sunday, Easter Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only was Good Friday a day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, but on Sunday, he rose from the dead. And in this church, in the city of Corinth, he had, they had a question, and they were questioning the reality of the resurrection. And they were saying that people don't really rise from the dead. And so again, it is to those questions that this church has that Paul is addressing this letter to the, first, uh, to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. And so we'll take a look at a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting at verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also Received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so, in these first four verses, Paul is declaring the gospel and what the gospel is it is the birth, the life, 
the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. And before the good news comes, we have to know the bad news. And the bad news is we are separated from God because of our sin. We, when we compare ourselves to one another, we look decent. Some of us look good. There's some good people in this world. But the standard for heaven and the standard for God is Jesus Christ. He's our point of comparison. And unfortunately, all of us fall short of that standard. And so before the good news comes, the bad news is we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so as he's saying, I, I hope you guys believed in, in a correct way, and I hope you didn't believe in vain. To that, as I thought this week and thought about the last year in my life, and then hearing what Jesus once again did for me and the fact that he rose on the third day to secure my salvation. I was just thinking about what's transpired over the last few years of my life, specifically this year. My brother passing away back in February was just probably the hardest thing I've gone through in life. A very, very difficult thing. And just knowing this conversation that I had with my brother on his deathbed. My middle brother passed away in 1987. On his deathbed, dying of AIDS, being pretty much eaten from the inside out. And I remember the the opportunity that God gave me as a baby Christian to be able to share the gospel and to pray with him to receive the Lord and just knowing that I have that peace that he'll be, I'll be one day with him in heaven. And then this last year when my other brother was sick, I'm, it would be December of 2014 that him and I would have a conversation at my sister's house, Christmas Day. And he, he, he just tells me, I don't feel good. My stomach hurts. S- simple as that. Two months later, the Lord would take him home. Within two months from just December 2014, not feeling well, to February 2015, gone. And so in that time, once again, that brother was on his deathbed, dying of cancer, being eaten up from the inside out. And as I would communicate with him in those days, those last days, I I was wondering why I was troubled, why I didn't have a peace in my heart. And I went home one day and the Lord impressed upon me. Johnny, you've been praying for your brother. You've laid hands on him. You've talked to him. But he hasn't prayed. Not once has he prayed. Why don't you lead him in a prayer? Why don't you let him confess with his mouth that he believes in his heart, as the scriptures say. And so I remember I, that afternoon, I, I went and him and I had a conversation, and I said, George, I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's no magic in the words, but it's your heart. It's your heart directed toward the Lord. And so I led him in a prayer, and, and after that, I remember there's there definitely a peace in my heart, a calm assurance. And all that to say is we hear the gospel again on this Resurrection Sunday, and Paul is saying here in 
The second verse, unless you believed in vain. As we develop this message, just think about the significance, not only of this day, but of what Jesus means to you. Is he a religious figure? Is he some guy that you have knowledge of that died on the cross and you heard that he's risen from the dead? Or is it something that to the core of your being, every decision that you make, every thought that you allow to come into your mind, every action that you take is influenced by the fact that he carried your, cross, carried your sins on, on the cross and he rose on the third day to prove who he was. Moving on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, Paul now beginning to answer this question for this church in the city of Corinth. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of mo- all men the most pitiable. 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 Pitied. So Paul here, again, addressing this idea that some are saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ didn't rise from the dead. Number one, we're liars. Number two, you're still in your sins. We're all just going to die and it's all over then. Why are we sacrificing so much? Why are we giving up so much? Why are we trying to live this life as Christ didn't rise from the dead? And then in verse 20, he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We invited a friend to church a few years back. And he goes and listens to the message and goes forward, prays to... Actually, he went into the prayer room, prays to receive the Lord. They give him a Bible and a new believer's packet. And he goes to the bookstore and he grabs himself a sticker and he's going to put a sticker on the back of his car. And man, he's... He's like hook, line, and sinker. Woohoo! Yeah, we did this. And before he even opens the door to get in his car, he turns to me and he's like, Johnny, you don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, do you? And I'm like, ah, wow, you look so good with the bumper sticker and the Bible, and it looked like the real deal. Guys, if we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead... He goes on to say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I mean, that's the the cornerstone. That's it right there. And by faith, the Bible declares it. So by faith, we got to receive it. And that's pivotal, guys. Very important. Jumping down to verse 30, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he goes on and he says, And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, 
which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of man I have fought with beasts in Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So three things I want to pull from this little section of scripture that we were able to read. Three little just phrases that jumped out at me. The title of the message, once again, is Awake to Righteousness. We'll end with that one. But there's two in the middle there. I die daily and evil company corrupts good habits. We'll start with evil company corrupts good habits. Where do you get your counsel from? Who do you talk to? Who encourages you or discourages you? When you struggle, when you go through difficulty, when you have decisions to make, pivotal decisions, things that are important, things that are crucial, things that will affect the rest of your life. The Bible declares that evil company corrupts good habits. Be careful who you're lending your ear to. Hopefully, the counsel that you're receiving is coming from the precious love letter, from the Word of God. Hopefully that person is a godly person that can steer you and guide you in the right direction. So number one, evil company corrupts good habits. Number two, Paul says, I die daily. Paul's life was one who we can see as a model of a Christian is exemplary. And the way that he was able to be used by God to such a degree was a daily death to self. Jesus would say it in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, starting at verse 23. Let me read it to you. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes to his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And so Paul would say, I die daily. Jesus would tell us that we need to die daily. Take up your cross daily. The cross was an instrument of death. So we need to die to self on a daily basis so that we can elevate God's will in our lives. And I believe, again, that's what Paul did. And that's why Paul was such an example of what it meant to be just a Christian on fire for God, doing the will of the Lord, doing the work of the Lord, serving the Lord with his life. I'm amazed as I watch and observe what people are willing to sacrifice for. I'm amazed how much people will spend at work earning a paycheck as opposed to church and serving the Lord in ministry. I'm amazed at that. Every opportunity I get, to share, I remember I did it at my aunt's funeral. My aunt was pivotal in my salvation. She was the only Christian in our family, at least the only one that was serving the Lord at the time that I could remember. And, whoa, can't lose my notes. I'd be lost. And um, she invited my wife and I, freshly married, on our way to divorce, just lost. Lost as lost can be. I remember at her funeral sharing, as, I, as I'm looking at my family, All these people that I love, 
encouraging them to go to church. Church doesn't save us. Church is not, uh, (laughs) being in church is not what salvation is. We're saved by grace, the Bible declares, through faith. But church is something that God has commanded. Church is something that God wants us to be connected in in a family of believers where we know the pains that one another are going through, the difficulties, and, and we could be praying for one another, a close-knit group that can kind of come together and, and just, it's preparation for eternity as opposed to, no, this is my life, this is my time, I do what I want to do with this time, okay, in, in disobedience to God. And so I will encourage as you die daily, as you think about taking up your cross, Go to church. You don't like this church? Find a church you like. But go to church. That's an encouragement. So evil company corrupts good habits. I die daily. And finally, awake to righteousness. In light of what he's sharing in this idea of the resurrection, he's giving us a different perspective on life. Bob Dylan has a song, You Have to Serve Somebody. I was singing it yesterday. I was working and I was training. And the girl's like, that's an ugly song. You got to serve somebody. I don't know if you guys heard the Bob Dylan sing. You got to serve somebody. Maybe the devil and maybe the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And it's true. The Bible declares that we are slaves to sin outside of Christ. And we become slaves to righteousness in Christ. And so this idea of awaking to righteousness. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And many attribute to the, this scripture to heaven. But the context doesn't show heaven. Let me read it to you. First Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 9, the Bible says, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Imagine that. Your eye hasn't seen it. Your ear hasn't heard it. Your heart hasn't conceived it. The things that God has prepared for you. And, and people say, well, that's, that's heaven. But yet, the context, look at verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Paul's context, if you continue to read that whole chapter, it's a sweet chapter. He says, the natural man doesn't understand the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned, neither can he know them. But to us who are spiritual, to us who have been born again, to us who know Christ personally, and we have a relationship with Christ, your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, it hasn't entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared. Are you experiencing that right now? Is this the single thing that drives your life? Getting to know God more and more. There's nothing Better that you can experience. I googled, Google search. It was the greatest experience on earth. It was the great, and all I got was trips. Going to Tahiti and Jamaica and all these wonderful places in the world. Greatest experience on earth. And then I got travel agents, you know, hit me up. And it's, no. I want to know what people think is the great, because this is the single greatest experience in the world. To know your creator personally and intimately, to walk and to talk with him, to bring him into your pain, to bring him into your hurt, to bring him into your confusion, to bring him into your life where he's guiding you. 
directing you, walking and talking with you. Nothing greater. Paul's conclusion in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. He writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I will close with this idea of awake to righteousness out of Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you guys that in your pamphlet, you guys have a place for notes. So you could be writing these notes down. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. The Bible declares, And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I have this book at home that I was reading this morning. And it's a play off of C.S. Lewis screw tape letters. And in the screw tape letters, you have these demons that are conversing, and it shows their strategy and it shows how they work in people's lives. And then Dr. Walter Martin took off on that idea of the screw tape letters, and he wrote a book called Another Set of Letters for Screw Tape. And I was reading about marriage today in that book. And it was talking about how deceptive the enemy is. It comes from a demon's perspective. We have this idea, this notion that demons are these ghouls or don't exist or a figment of people's imaginations or that they're just sloppy and and, and unorganized. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible declares that there are rankings of demonic forces. They're extremely organized and extremely intelligent. Take the greatest generals and armies in the world and the demonic force outsmarts them by far. And just thinking just of this idea of marriage and and how the enemy will seep into a marriage through individuals who are selfish and self-seeking and not getting something that they think they need from another when they're called to get it from the Lord. And just seeing how the enemy just works in that. And you can picture that with children. You can picture that just in all of the struggles that we have in life. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, rulers of darkness. If you go on to read 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus trumped death on the cross so that we can have life. And that's what the resurrection is. Awake to righteousness. At what point in our lives are we going to awake to the things of God, to the fullness that God has? Not participating in this, with this demonic realm and giving in to these lies that we're fed by, by the enemy. At what point do we awake to righteousness and just begin to walk by faith, trusting that God is leading and guiding? And it will be at a sacrifice. The gospel is more than saying a prayer and getting into heaven. Salvation is far more than that. We cannot do that and then live our same life 
and, and, and there's no repentance. We never turn from a lifestyle of sin. The simplicity of the gospel, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that free gift of salvation. So I was thinking, just all this week as I'm taking all these thoughts in, the church is quick to point out individuals who struggle with certain sins. So you come to the Lord, you become a Christian, and you struggle with homosexuality. You come to the Lord and you struggle with adultery. You struggle with these things that we despise, with drunkenness. But what about gossip? What about talking about people? That is so prevalent in our culture. It's like, it's not even on the, it's not even a blip on the screen. But God despises gossip. Envy backbiting, murmuring, all the sins that we commit with our tongues. And so either we're saved by grace and we're this big, dysfunctional, happy family, or we rise up to the level that you have as a standard of perfection. Guess what? We're a big, gigantic, dysfunctional family. But at what point, at what point in your walk, in your personal, private walk with God, at what point do you say, The enemy has declared war on my soul and he wants to defeat me. I declare war on him and I'm going to die daily. I'm going to wake to righteousness. I'm going to be careful with the company that I keep and the people that I give my ear to. At what point do we say, no more sin. No more am I going to give in to the things that my flesh is so craving on a daily basis. I'm going to try to die to self. I'm going to crucify this flesh and I'm going to live a victorious Christian life that God, he wants to show me things that my eyes haven't seen. He wants to tell me things that my ears haven't heard. He wants to declare to me things that my heart hasn't even comprehended yet. That's the abundant life that the resurrection is all about. Jesus rose from the dead. That's power. That's incredible. And he called it. Destroy this temple, and on the third day, I will raise it up. Satan, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Stop me. Satan couldn't stop him. I just find that incredible, like, dang, he punked Satan. Kicked him in the eye. Bam. That's the power that we have access to as Christians. Not wallowing in the muck and mire of this world and getting all caught up in it. And well, I'm still going to heaven, but this life is just miserable till I get there. Why? Why is it miserable till we get there? Why can't it be abundant like Jesus promised in John chapter 10? I have come that you might have life and that much more abundantly. The picture of the promised land is a picture of that abundant life. There were enemies in the promised land. Promised land's not heaven. Heaven's going to be bomb.com but we can live an abundant life right now. And you are your worst enemy, unfortunately. Satan's going to do what Satan's going to do. The demonic realm's going to do what it's going to do. The world, the system of the world, not going to change. Look at the presidential election coming up. Right? The world's going to do what it's going to do. 
corrupt politicians are going to do what they're going to do. But your flesh, your carnal nature, crucify that thing on the daily. Live the abundant life. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are weak. We confess that we need you desperately. And so, Lord, to those who we have given ear to, I pray, Father, that those would be godly, that those would lead us in paths of righteousness for your sake. I pray that they would be in touch with you, Lord. And only those things, Lord, we would heed and give attention to. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to die daily, to take up our cross and to follow you. Thank you, Lord, that you've made a way. You're not asking us to do nothing that you didn't do and wouldn't do. So, Lord, I pray that we would definitely give you that place in our life and in our heart. And finally, Lord, I pray that we would awake to righteousness. Lord, that we would truly just be sold out for you. We're willing to sacrifice so much for the temporal. Stand in a Star Wars movie line for hours upon hours to see a movie that disappoints ultimately. Lord, what are we willing to sacrifice for you? Our time, our treasure, our talent is what you've blessed us with, Lord. So I pray that we would surrender it back to you. We'll never be sorry on the other side of eternity for any sacrifice, Lord, that we make on your behalf. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your strength. And Lord, I pray that like beggars, in humility, we would reach our hand up to our Papa, to our Abba, to our Daddy, our Heavenly Father, acknowledging that we need you and we're desperate for you. In Jesus' name, amen.